0: The reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. So I tell you this, and insist on it says God in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Best good morning to each and every one we can do better than that.
1: Indeed, it is certainly an honor, a joy, and a magnanimous privilege to be here with you in Central, to be in this lovely province in Manitoba, and to have gone through a weekend with the elders and some of the members of this congregation. I feel extremely elated to be here and just to have the opportunity to share my faith in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to do something for me this morning, and that is to look to the person next to you with all of the joy of Christ in your heart, eyeball to eyeball, and tell that person, I'm happy to see you this morning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is also okay to look to the person in front of you and tell them I'm happy to see you this morning as well. the reason why I do this, and this is a signature wherever I go, has to do with the fact that in the world it's already a difficult place. And I think amongst the people of God, Chad, we ought to have a smile that radiates that we are in connection with Jesus Christ. We ought to be at ease with each other, and that ought to be felt when we sit, when we sing, when we fellowship. Right? So this morning I'm fully aware that uh, time is against me. Uh, I have a long way to go and a short time to get there. So I'm going to try my utmost to hit the ground running. But I kind of feel remiss in my responsibility to acknowledge uh, Brother Gary King and his wife Eva for their kind hospitality for housing my family over the weekend. They have been. Great host, and we thank you very much for keeping us. I know my kids probably added two years to your life, and uh, I am sorry for that. <laughs> All right, it's always good to give compliments, because I heard this story about a guy who was having a really bad day. I mean, he was having a really dejected type of experience, and he decided part of the way to deal with the trauma, or the drama he was dealing with, was to go in a bar and have a drink. So he went into the bar, and it so happened that the bartender was not available at the time. So he started hearing voices saying, you look really amazing this morning. And he's like, who said that? And then as he made his way closer to the bar, he started hearing, oh my goodness, you just look super abundant this morning. And he's like, where are these voices coming from? And it so happened that as he was thinking along, the bartender came out. And he said, I kept hearing voices complimenting me all through my way towards the bar. And the bartender said to him, oh, um, it's actually the peanuts doing that because they are complimentary. And, um, <laughs> and um, so it's, it's good to give compliments. With regards to my preaching responsibility this morning... Reminded of a saying of Marshall Keebles. But Marshall Keebles was one of the pioneers in the early 20th century in America. And he was very prudent with words. He he would say something like, any sermon less than 30 minutes is actually a sermonette. And he said sermonettes have the tendency to turn preachers into preacherettes And preachers generally have the reputation of smoking cigarettes. So uh, I am going to try my utmost to preach within the time allotted to me, but at the same time to get us to understand exactly what the Spirit has to say. At this time, I'm going to ask you to place your attention to the screen. And the theme that was designated to me is spiritual growth. And as I stayed and I pondered on the theme, I realize that the theme does not just speak about the expectation of the elders towards the congregation. I think this theme spiritual growth actually speaks about God's expectation for Christians in every locality. And this is something we are called to go through. We are called to grow in our walk with God. We are not called to start Christianity the same way and to exit life the same way. As we go through life, God expects us to grow. Our text is Ephesians chapter 4, which was uh, presently read, so I am not going to go through that a whole lot. Uh, but just to highlight a few things, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17 to 24, um, I'm going to read just two verses And after which I will give you a topic for your consideration. It says, speaking from the New King James Version, of course. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. I want to talk to us this morning on the topic, the new man. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul hones in on the concept of the new man. And he does that intentionally to get the church to realize that we have a responsibility as believers. That we cannot live life as we knew it. That God has an expectation of us, and that expectation has to be materialized in how we live. So in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul deals with that. And in his book, As a Man Thinketh, James Allen said these words, and I quote, He said, It's impossible to live the life of the new man while you are still operating under the thought patterns of the old man. End of quote. He also said, a new way of living requires a new way of thinking and responding to things. And I believe from James Allen's standpoint, that he encapsulates the whole essence of what it is to be a new man. Because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to understand. From a definitive standpoint, the term new man simply means... An expression that represents the moral condition of a man or woman who has come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In other words, what this is saying to us is, whenever we get in direct relationship with Jesus Christ, it is now incumbent upon us as believers to live a life that's different. In other words, there's no way you can have a relationship with Jesus and remain the same. In other words, as we walk with Jesus, as we observe Jesus, then our lives start to change to the degree that we see Jesus. The Apostle Paul would have it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17, where he deals with the concept of newness. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, watch this, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you are a Christian, you are a new person. If you are a Christian, you are a new man, irrespective of your gender. <laughs> because man here is representative of the Greek term anthropos, encompassing both male and female. In other words, what he's saying is that you are a new person, a new individual. That we cannot function as people in relationship with Jesus as if we did not meet Jesus Christ. And Paul deals with that well from the concept of Ephesians chapter 4. I heard this story about this guy who had a parrot. And the parrot just had a really bad mouth. Like this parrot was rude, constantly blurting out profanities. And the guy had it up to here. He was constantly frustrated because every time he invited guests, uh, the parrot would start saying a lot of stuff that was unbecoming. So he, he went to the parrot one day and he told the parrot, if you don't change your attitude and if you don't change your mouth, I am going to get rid of you. The parrot looked at him and said, ah, you can do whatever you want. So Thanksgiving was around the corner. And he decided to go to the grocery store. So he went there and he bought two turkeys, uh, thinking that he's going to stuff those turkeys. Then he got back home, placed the turkeys in the freezer, and then the parrot out of nowhere started to blurt out some profanities again. So he had it up to here. He took the parrot and he placed the parrot in the freezer where the turkeys were. And the parrot started kicking against the door and kicking against and scratching and so on and started using profanities. And then after two minutes, there was absolute silence. So he opened the door and the parrot came out, well composed, walked onto his hands and started singing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So the guy looked at the parrot and he said, well, what caused the change? And the parrot said, I looked at those two turkeys in there and I don't want to be like any one of them. (laughs) And sometimes the situation is we wait until we go through some very traumatic experience in order for us to change But I want to suggest to you that as people who are in relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm not saying that to suggest that you're not changing, I'm saying that as a further reinforcement that you should continue to change. That as we walk with Jesus, saints of God, as we continue to fellowship with Jesus, then it is incumbent upon us to walk and change and grow and mature and develop into the image of Jesus more more perfectly. Paul deals with that in Ephesians chapter 4, and basically this is the premise for his discussion. He's dealing in chapter 4 with what the theologians call the practical side of the letter. In other words, this is where Paul is saying, based on everything that I just said, based on all of the evidence that I presented you, Based on all of the God stories that you've heard, it is now necessary upon you to act out in accordance. This is what Paul is saying in chapter 4 to chapter 6, that the Christians have a responsibility to act on the Word of God. Because that's how faith works. That's how theology works. It's not just about hearing about how good God is. It's not just about hearing that Jesus changed water into wine. It's not just about hearing that Jesus actually walked on water, that he died, he was buried, that he resurrected triumphantly, and he made his way back to heaven. All of these are factual things, but at the other time, on the other side of it, we need to realize that when we hear those stories... Those stories need to be presented in principal form so that we can live the life of Jesus. That's where the minister or the teacher of God has to now make the story of Jesus applicable to our contemporary lifestyle. Because yes, it is historical. Yes, it is factual that Jesus did the things that are recorded in Scripture. But I can't walk on water. I tried it. I'm from the Caribbean. I tried it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. But when I read the story of Jesus, then I become encouraged to go through life. To emulate Him, Chad. To do the things that He has called me to do. And Paul is saying from chapter 4 that it is your responsibility to live a practical life. Based on everything that I just told you, you need to do something. And from chapter 1 to chapter number 3, Paul basically deals with the doctrinal side. And uh, I'm having some difficulty with this, but it's okay. All right. From chapter 1 to chapter number 3, Paul deals with the doctrinal side. He gets them to understand that God did some amazing things. He tells the church in chapter 1 that you guys are blessed. And as Christians, that represents who we are. We are blessed people. And I want to suggest to you that when Paul speaks about blessings, he's not talking about you having a yacht. He's not talking about you having millions of dollars in the bank. That's okay, too. He's not against that. Uh, But from Paul's conception, blessings has to do with everything we have accrued from God in Jesus Christ. He's talking about forgiveness. He's talking about our names being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's talking about being containers and being conduits of the Holy Spirit of God. So when Paul deals with the concept of being blessed, he tells them in chapter 1, he's writing to a church that's made out of Jews and Gentiles, and historically this church had tension. They couldn't get along. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but he's saying to a church that historically has tension between them, that you guys are blessed. In chapter 2, he says to them that God created a unity that you and I could never create by our own strengths. In chapter 2, he says from verse 14, For he himself is our peace, speaking about Jesus, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the enemy, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to creating himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And in chapter 3, he tells them that the unity that you all experience in Christ is something that was a mystery in the Old Testament. That God was working all the way from eternity, but in history, his whole idea, his whole purpose was to get mankind to unite in Christ. So even if you're black, you're white, you're First Nations, at the end of the day, keep in mind we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We all are. We don't have any racial segregation. We should realize that in Christ, Christ levels the playing field. From a societal standpoint, we may have those things out there. But in Christ, we all are one. And that's a beautiful picture. That's an amazing picture, because the reality is we all are one, but in Christ, it becomes a realization. It becomes something that we can embrace, and when we look at Central, this is a case in point. I believe this is the most diverse congregation in Canada. I believe so, from what I was told and what I heard, and this is beautiful That God has from every people group, his children. That is amazing. So Paul tells them all of that in chapter 1 to chapter 3, that they are blessed, that they are united, that this unity was a mystery. And then in chapter 4, he goes on to tell the church that you guys now have a responsibility to walk worthy of the call. Chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the call, wherein you were called. In other words, he's saying that it is now your responsibility to live honorably because of what God did. That's what walking worthy of the call means. That we have to walk in a way that honors God or live in a way that honors God. And part of what he tells them in chapter 4, he goes on in verse number 7, because in as much as God is saying to walk worthy, God has provided the means by which we walk worthy. So in other words, God is not asking us to do something that he has not made provision for. God has made the provision in order for us to walk worthy. He has provided the gifts. And in verse 7, the Bible tells us, But to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. God has given us grace, gifts. Verse 11, Paul said, But he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So God did all those things and he moves over to verse number uh, 17 to 24 where he deals with the concept of the new man. And he's saying to them that as your responsibility as Christians, as people who have been connected to God, as folks who have received the new man, you cannot live like the lifestyle you came from. So he says from verse 17, This I say therefore... And testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful loss, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was or which is created in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, Paul is saying, that as you have received Jesus, there's no way you can have a new life or be a new man and continue to live life the old way. There's no way you can say you're Christian and you're constantly cursing off your neighbors like you've never changed. I don't know about you, but back in the Caribbean, we have some feisty Christians. We have some, I don't know if it's a seasoning in our food or something. Because we have, I'm from the Caribbean and I love my little spice every now and then. But we have some real feisty Christians and they generally have... We have some sisters, when they're ready to give you a point, they roll their heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they watch you. Right? They, they, they give you a piece of their minds. And, I, and Paul is saying that that should not be our conduct. That we are new people. That there ought to be a distinction between where we were... And where we are and where we are going. I recall the words of my mentor, Parker Lee Henderson. He died about two years ago. He said, We ought to look like the place where we are going. And those words always stayed with me. He said that when we were getting older. He said, The older we get, the more we should look like Jesus. (laughs) And I'm saying that to you, Central. You are a lovely bunch a great people, a redeemed people. And I pray and trust that as we live this day for the rest of our lives, that we continue to emanate and to radiate and just to give off profusely the presence and the odor and the fragrance of Jesus Christ. God bless you. I pray that this message would have helped in some way and that you continue to walk in a way that is in accordance and becoming to God. Have yourself a blessed day.